James chapter number two. I changed the color or I had Eli change the color to a little bit tamer of a yellow. So y'all that are prone to migraines won't be struggling with that all morning long. The United States of America was founded on the idea that all men are created equal. The inscription, in fact, of the Statue of Liberty says it well. Keep your ancient lands, your storied pomp. Give me your tired, your poor. Your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send those, the homeless. Tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. I like that. I like that. It's patriotic, but... What's interesting is that while America's founding principles stated that all men are created equal, there have been actions throughout our country's history that showed that many Americans felt that all men weren't created equal. I could give you a whole list of things in our country's history, but just the obvious things are things like slavery. Jim Crow, system of rigid anti-black laws. Even a time in our country where women weren't allowed to vote. These kind of things happened in the same country that proudly stated all men are created equal. Our nation statue invites the tired, the homeless, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to be free to come to to our shore. Yet she once had a drinking fountain for white people and a drinking fountain for colored people. That's not just hypocritical to the core, but it also reveals the sin of favoritism that lies at the heart of every person. Mankind has and will always find some basis by which they receive some people and exclude others. And while we'd like to think that the problem of favoritism and partiality is out there, we need to be reminded this morning that even believers in Christ retain their sinful tendencies to show favoritism towards some people and exclude others. I guess what I'm trying to say is favoritism hasn't just been a problem in our country. It's been a problem in our churches. This is what James is going to address next in his letter to these believers that he loves so much. Because apparently he was hearing that they were showing favoritism towards some people in their small assemblies. If you remember, there used to be one large church in Jerusalem that was pastored by James until the authorities ran them out of town for their faith. Once they all scattered to different cities and different countries, they, they eventually tried to start all over again. Tried to form their little assembly with whatever Jewish Christians were in that particular part of the world. And here's what would happen. They would occasionally get a visitor in their assembly. And you know, when a small church gets a visitor in their services, everyone notices. Sometimes that visitor would be poor. Sometimes that visitor would be rich. Well, because they were a small, struggling congregation that was scattered everywhere, they would latch on to the rich visitors, hoping that they would, I don't know, have some influence in the city they could leverage. Maybe the rich visitor would be the kind of man that could get them a a good paying job. Or or maybe pull them a, a permit for their business. 
Maybe he'd be the kind of man that would see to it that, that their wives and children were, were no longer harassed or cheated in the marketplace. Maybe, maybe this rich man could benefit them and make their trial go away entirely or, or at least make their life a little bit easier. So when a rich man walked in, Jake, they would latch on to that guest. Couldn't lose him. Yet when a visitor came on Sunday who didn't have much money, and didn't have much influence and couldn't do anything for them, they would almost turn the other way. In fact, they treated him poorly simply because he was poor. And this is what James rebukes. This is what James calls in our text being a respecter of persons, mean, mean, meaning this, we, we judge somebody by external factors. We show partiality. I think the best word is favoritism. And that's where I'm drawing my title for the message today. Faith without favoritism. Up to this point in James's letter, let's be honest, he's gone pretty easy on these believers. He's had an encouraging tone. He's told them, persevere through trials and have joy when you're doing it. And if you're struggling, just ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to you liberally. Because God is a good gift, a good giver and a, a perfect giver. And, and he never changes and it's been really encouraging. But now he's going to take the kid gloves off. Now he's going to shift in his tone. And he's going to begin in the rest of this letter, two, chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, to address some very real issues that are going on among these believers that he loved so much. In fact, look at chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27. I left these verses out of last week's text because I think they're a transitional part of James's letter. Verse 26 says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue... But deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Here's what James is doing at those two verses. He's giving us a brief introduction as to some of the key topics that he's going to be addressing in the rest of his letter. See, the overall burden of James is that, that these believers have a real faith in real life. He doesn't want them to have a hypocritical faith. He doesn't want them to have a dead faith. But some of them do. See, some of them think they're religious, yet they can't control their speech. James is going to address that in chapter 3. Some of them think they're right with God, but they're trying to be friends with the world at the same time. James is going to address that in chapter 4. Some of them think they're a really spiritual group of people, yet they're ignoring the fatherless and the widow among them. And it's that kind of favoritism that James is going to address right here in chapter 2. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. James pulls no punches. He addresses the problem right at the start. He's saying this. Listen, you're claiming to be brethren you're claiming to be in the faith. You're claiming to be believers, yet you're showing favoritism toward those people. And James says this, those two things don't go hand in hand. Real faith does not show carnal favoritism. That's not what Christians do. That's not how believers behave, especially in the church. 
In fact, James gives his thesis statement for the entire text right there in that verse. And that's where we, we grab our thesis statement for the message. It's simply this. Favoritism toward people is incompatible with faith in God. Would you say that out loud? Favoritism toward people is incompatible with faith in God. James says, have not faith with favoritism. He goes on to give a concrete example of something that must have been going on in one of these little gatherings on the Lord's day. Look at verses two through four. For if they're coming to your assembly, a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, they're coming also a poor man in vile raiment. And you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. That's Elizabethan English. Gay means something different today. There it meant the shiny clothing, extravagant clothing. And saying to him, sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? So James gives a scenario. You got a rich guy that walks into the church. He's dressed to the hilt. He's got some nice jewelry on. He's got some nice clothes on. So, so the people in this little church are thinking, man, this guy can really help our church. We need, need to make him feel as welcome as possible. We can't let him seep through the cracks here. So they roll out the red carpet. He has his hand shook so many times, it feels like it's going to fall off by the end of the service. He's introduced to so many people on that Sunday that he's overwhelmed trying to remember all the names. And he's even invited to sit in a seat that it seems like was reserved just for him. Yet a few minutes later, here comes another man. He's not dressed to the hilt. He's wearing some really old clothes. No jewelry, just a bad odor. Those in the church think to themselves, this guy can't help us out much. Probably not going to give an offering. Probably not ever going to evolve into some dynamic church leader. He has no clout in the community, so he's no good for us right now. So rather than treating him with the same respect as they did the rich man, they treat him with disrespect. No handshake, no warm greeting, no invitation to sit with anybody. In fact, we're given the impression that the us ushers escorted him to sit on the floor. Now, if this scenario makes you squirm a little bit, at least on the inside, it should. There was a group of people that came to their church that was never truly received. Not because this group of people were any less loved and accepted by God, but because there were some external factors beyond their control that the church prejudged them on. So James tells them straight up. Verse four, you become partial. In fact, you become like an evil judge who makes his decisions based on external factors. He's partial to certain types of people. He's partial to certain economic status. He's, he's partial to whatever this person's uh, level is in the, in the social world of his community. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, man, that's awful. Like this church should never do that. And boy, I'm glad I'm not part of a church that struggles with that. We've got parking lot greeters. We've got door greeters. We got connection group leaders for all stages of life. We run at least three buses every Sunday and Wednesday to go and pick up kids that would never come to church 
If our buses didn't run every week, man, we love everybody the same around here. And maybe you're right. Maybe we do a pretty good job at this. I hope we do. But we can't forget that this sinful tendency to show favoritism towards people still resides in every one of our sinful hearts. Which means this, our church is never above being partial. In fact, I've thought of several ways that it might show up right here at Fellowship. We can show favoritism in who we allow to be part of our circle. We may tolerate all people in our church, but do we accept all people? There's a difference. Or or do we just accept the people we click with? See, some come to church and they give their Sunday smile to all, but they only talk to a few. They're partial to their own circle of people. And some Christians do the same thing at work. We, we can show favoritism in relation to finances. We get the idea by, by the way somebody carries themselves or by the business somebody owns in town or by the job that they hold or the position they hold that they're sharp people, they're educated people, they're economically stable people. And boy, they could really help fellowship. So we can't miss out on reaching them. Yet the person who appears to be just the opposite, at least economically, might not get the same kind of intentionality. We can show favoritism in relation to race. Boy, I sure hope this isn't a problem at fellowship. I'm not going to take it for granted. There might be some in here who struggle to accept the cultural nuances of certain races. Whether that be the way they dress or the way they talk or the way they parent their children or the way they keep their home. And if you're not careful, that'll start showing up in the way you treat them at church or, well, subtly avoid them at church. We can show favoritism based on age. Think about the people you've reached out to at church recently. Are they your same age? Maybe you struggle with relating to older people, so you don't. Or maybe if you're older, you really struggle with relating with younger people, so you don't even try. You may have a form of favoritism based on somebody's age. We can show favoritism based on how long someone has been part of our church. We keep them at an arm's distance until they've proven themselves. I think every new member of this church ought to be treated as welcomed as the person who was raised in this church. But yet so many have this idea that you're only going to get close to the members you've known for a long time. See, if the idea of a growing church with many new members turns you off because it, because it means that you're not as prominent as you used to be, it, it means that, that you kind of get overcrowded a little bit, it, it means that you're not as familiar with everyone and you like to know everything about everyone, well, you might be partial to the people you're comfortable with. But so long as we're a church that's helping people find and follow Jesus, you're going to walk in every Sunday and you're not going to know everybody. And the moment you start knowing everybody every Sunday, that's a problem. We show favoritism based on people's past sometimes. We live in a smaller community, which I love, but it also means if somebody slips up, a lot of people know it. What if that person shows up to our church? Does their past cause you to not want to worship here? 
Obviously, I'm not talking about something that, that should warrant our concern, right? Such as child abuse or violent behavior. I mean, listen, we ought, we ought to be vigilant about those kind of things when we have over 150 kids in this building today. Right? Accepting of all people, but vigilant. But I'm talking about things like divorce, past addictions, being arrested on a DUI. Things that you know about people and they walk in the doors on Sunday and all of a sudden on the inside you start squirming. That might mean that you are prone to be partial based on somebody's behavior. Now, I'm not saying this kind of favoritism exists in fellowship. I'm not saying that. In fact, just this last week, I was visiting with, with some guests, a couple that came to my office, and one of the things that they said they loved about fellowship was how welcome they and their kids were made to feel when they came to this place. I love that. Keep it that way. We work hard to be a friendly church. Had another testimony among the deacons today. Uh, of a lady that, that the, one of the reasons why she, she decided to make fellowship her home was because right when she walked in, she was greeted friendly by a door greeter. It made a huge impression on her. So long as I'm the pastor, I want to have that kind of culture in this place. But that doesn't mean just because we're getting it right in the present that we'll always get it right in the future. Because laying dormant in our hearts is the sin of favoritism. And you never know what's going to trigger it. It could be somebody's age, somebody's past. Somebody new that's taken a position you once had. It could be anything and you've got to be very, very careful. And lest we minimize, and lest we minimize the dangers of showing favoritism in the church, James uses the rest of the text to show us why it's so serious. See, see, churches like ours, we, we're reaching people, baptizing people, people are coming in, people are complimenting our friendliness, and we're prone to think we're good. And to minimize the dangerous consequences of favoritism. So James writes and says, here are three reasons why favoritism towards people is incompatible with faith in God. Number one, favoritism contradicts the gospel. Study with me, verse five. Hearken, listen up, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Did you see that? By showing favoritism, the believers in this church were disrespecting the kind of people that God had chosen to be in his kingdom. Yet we see in the next two verses that the kind of people who were getting the respect of this church were actually rejecting the kingdom of God. Look at verse 6 and 7. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? James is in essence telling us this. Be careful about showing favoritism because inevitably it will lead you to exclude a portion of people from the gospel and likely you'll exclude the very people who are most prone to accepting it in the first place. Here's the point. The very truth of the gospel ought to compel us to love all people the same. Hasn't God been gracious and kind and loving towards you? 
then the gospel compels you. Be kind, gracious, and loving toward everyone else. No exceptions. You treat others like God has treated you. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should perish not everlasting life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is unwilling that any should perish with that all come to repentance. Why are you leaving people out? That is a serious offense. If God died for all, gave his son for all, visited death, hell, and the grave for all, rose again for all, offers the gospel to all, why do you only hang out with four or five people? Next time you get together with your circle, why don't you invite someone who doesn't know God in? Why don't you start enlarging your circle? Start reflecting how big God's circle is. Quit inviting the same people over every Friday. Quit sitting by the same exact people every service. Quit shaking the same exact hands every Sunday. Are you listening? God died for every single person sitting in these chairs. Love every single person sitting in these chairs. He gives us a second reason. Look at verse 9 through 11. But if ye have respect to persons, watch here, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend to one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou, thou art become a transgressor of the law. Favoritism is incompatible with faith, number one, because it contradicts the gospel. Number two, because it violates the entirety of God's law. When you show favoritism, here's what James says, you commit sin. Sin. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a moment of selfishness. It's not just how you were raised. You have committed sin. He's saying this to, to, to hopefully increase the level of seriousness that we treat this with as a church. In fact, he puts it together with the sin of adultery and murder. Come on, why did he do that? Partiality is in the same category as murder? Why would he do that? Well, here's why. Because when a bunch of religious leaders cornered Jesus, they said, you got hundreds of commandments, Jesus, in the Old Testament. You tell us the one that's most important. And Jesus says, I'll boil down all the commandments to two. Love God and love your neighbor. And here's what James says. The reason why favoritism is in the same category as murder is because they are both sins against your neighbor. And one is not better than the other. You'll never go to prison for life because you showed partiality. So in our mind, we think, oh, murder's worse. Nope. To God, it's a violation of the second greatest commandment. And you may never murder somebody with your hands, but by showing favoritism in your heart, you might as well do it. That's what James is saying. Favoritism contradicts the gospel. It violates the entirety of God's law. Look at the last two verses of our text. So speak ye 
and so do as they that should be judged by the law of liberty for he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. You know what you do when you show favoritism? You invite a stricter judgment from God. I don't know how all this works, but I know what James says. You will be judged in some measure according to the way you judged other people. Here's what Luke 6 says about this. This is why I know this is true. James isn't over-exaggerating because Jesus himself said this. Be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Judge not and ye shall be not judged. Condemn not and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. Give and it shall be given unto you. And by the way, he's not really talking about money there. He's talking about mercy, grace, forgiveness. Give mercy and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken over and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure, here it is, that ye meet with all it shall be measured to you again. God says, you want mercy from me? Give it to my, my children. You want grace from me? Show it to those you go to church with. You want to be forgiven by me and forgiven by other people? You can only have that expectation as you forgive those around you. See, these people, when a rich guy walked in their congregation, thought they were getting ahead by showing favoritism. They thought they were manipulating this. Oh man, he's going he's to help us. He's going to help us get favor in this new town that we're living in. He's going to, he's going to help with his money, establish our church. We're, we're, going to, we're going to be like the old church of Jerusalem that we used to worship every, every Lord's Day. This is the one missing piece we've been longing to have. They spent so much time on him that they turned their head when a poor man walked in. And what the, the very behavior that they thought would get them ahead actually backfired on them. And God says, hold up. You show all that favor to a rich man and no favor to a poor man. Well, guess what? I'm not, I am not going to bless you, forgive you, and show you mercy according to how you dealt with that rich man. I'm going to judge you based on how you dealt with the poor man. How you treat the poorest among you is how God will treat you. Do you see the seriousness of favoritism? So if anything else, you may not be convicted because you're showing favoritism. But I hope you're warned. Don't start. Because you are inviting a stricter judgment upon your life. You're violating the entirety of God's law and you have totally forgotten the gospel. So here's what I want to ask you to do today. Would you just search your heart? Would you ask yourself, do I have any partiality in me? Is there something about the way I look at people, talk to people, treat people that has been showed from the, the mirror of God's word? Have I, have I seen any partiality be reflected off of these pages to me today? If so, hear me as your pastor. Hear me. You have committed sin. And you need to repent of that today.
There is no room in God's church for favoritism. Somebody say amen to that. Whether it's from a pulpit or a pew. But then let me ask you to do this because this is what's going to keep you from showing favoritism. Here's what I want you to do in this moment of reflection and invitation. I want to ask that you reflect on the gospel. Are there people around you that are just different? Maybe you call them weird. Well, that's okay because you're different than God. You're so different that you were called God's enemy before you're ever called God's friend. You were polar opposite of God. And yet he sent his only son to die for you. I think you can get along with somebody that's weird. Is there somebody that's just not like you? They vote different. They parent different. They talk different. They dress different. Their priorities are different. What they do on the weekends are different. Well, you can still accept them because God accepted you. Is there someone that has hurt you? And your favoritism kind of gets triggered when you see that person. And you are partial to everybody in the room except them and they know it and you know it. Then think about the gospel because you have hurt God day after day after day but his mercies are new every single morning. Why can't you forgive? In fact, this week, would you, would you try this? This week. Would you go out, of your, go out of your way, both here at church and at work? Okay, be a Christian in these four walls and be a Christian outside of this building. Do this this week. Go interact with somebody that you don't normally interact with. Would you do that? Go do that. At work, eat, eat lunch with someone you don't normally eat lunch with. At work, go say good morning to someone you've never said good morning to. At church tonight when you come back, because everybody's coming back to the evening service at six. The laugh means, yeah, real funny, Pastor. That's what, that's what it means. Um, but I hope you do. It's going to be good. But when you come back to church tonight or you leave church this morning, go shake somebody's hand and you don't even know their name. You don't even know their name. Or they're just a completely different age. They're really old. Probably means they're going to walk a little bit slower. So you can catch up real quick. Just go shake their hand. Or one of these kids down here. Why don't some of you in your 50s and 60s and 70s, I know they get on your nerves because they're on their cell phone all the time. They don't know how to string four words together in your opinion. But they really do. These are good kids with good parents. And if you never come and just introduce yourself to one of these kids, why don't you do that before you leave? You know what that'll do? That'll push against our natural tendency to show partiality. I want to be a church for all. And we can only do that if we're purposeful about it. If you agree with God,